0: This is episode 348 of the AWS podcast, released on December 4th, 2019. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello, welcome back to the AWS podcast. Simon Lesha here with you. Great to have you back. And it's another reInvent update show. A shorter one today, give you a bit of a breather to catch up before we have Werner Vogel's uh, keynote tomorrow. Some really cool updates though, in a variety of areas, particularly in compute and serverless, but also some data ones that are very cool and a few bonus ones. So let's get started. Firstly, AWS Lambda announces provisioned concurrency. So this is a feature that gives you greater control over performance of your serverless application at any scale. Functions using provision concurrency execute with a consistent startup latency. So this is really useful if you've got those interactive mobile or web backends, um, API backends, latency-sensitive microservices, et cetera. Essentially, what you can do now is simply set the expected concurrency on any version or alias of a function. From then on, AWS Lambda ensures that the function begins executing your code within double-digit milliseconds of being invoked. So this really helps with use cases where you've got an API that might be hit periodically. Uh, You want to reduce that startup time for that initial invocation. I know a lot of people have uh, little tasks that run to keep uh, keep a, a Lambda around by just pinging it from time to time. Now you can use this provision concurrency capability to cater for that particular situation. Now the good news is you can also use application auto scaling, so you can automatically configure the required concurrency for these functions. You can do this using both target tracking and scheduled scaling policies. Also SAM and the SAM CLI can support provision concurrency and it's also integrated into code deploy as well so you can really do it end to end. Speaking of capacity, Amazon ECS capacity providers are now available and this is a very cool new capability that will also include a couple of other features we'll speak about in a moment. Essentially, these are a new way to manage compute capacity for containers, and it allows the application to define its requirements for how it uses a capacity. So with these capacity providers, you can define very flexible rules about how these containerized workloads run on different types of compute capacity, and you can manage the scaling of that capacity. So this is really focused on the availability, scalability, and the cost of running tasks and services on ECS. So in the past, you could choose your launch type, which was either EC2 or Fargate, You could also use placement constraints and placement strategies to control where the task would execute. However, you could only use the capacity that was running. You couldn't sort of anticipate the capacity. Now these capacity providers work with both EC2 and Fargate. So with EC2, they are based now on EC2 auto scaling groups and the capacity provider manages the scaling of the auto scaling group through the ECS cluster auto scaling, which is launching today. I'll talk about that in a moment. Also, if you are deploying on Fargate, you can also use Fargate and Fargate Spot capacity providers, and we'll talk about Fargate Spot in a moment as well, and you can split between multiple capacity providers. So if you think about the way you balance your workloads and the way you manage your underlying infrastructure, this gives you way more choice and a lot more automation in terms of how you deploy your clusters using ECS. So I kind of teased the next two uh, updates. So Amazon ECS cluster auto-scaling is now available. So this means your ECS clusters on EC2 can automatically scale based upon your auto-scaling rules. And of course, this uses this capacity provider construct that we spoke about. So in the past, it couldn't manage the auto-scaling group. You had to do it manually. No longer, no more. You can now integrate the whole thing together. Also, as I mentioned, Fargate Spot is now available. So you can save up to 70% for fault-tolerant applications. So essentially, if you have an application where if the uh, container goes away and comes back very quickly, it doesn't really matter. So things like big data, CICD, batch processing, et cetera, it is now integrated into Fargate and you can use Spot pricing. We've waxed lyrical about Spot many times because it saves you money and I want to save you money, let you do more for your dollar. Another serverless related update is a new capability in AWS Step Functions. This is a new workflow type called Express Workflows. And this is really focused on orchestrating AWS compute database and messaging services at event rates greater than 100,000 events per second. These workflows will automatically start in response to a huge number of events, over 100 different events, things like HTTP requests via API Gateway, Lambda requests, AWS IoT, EventBridge, other SaaS providers, et cetera. It's really very much focused at that high volume event processing workloads, things like IoT data ingestion, streaming data processing and transformation, and high volume microservices orchestration. So if we think about what AWS Step Functions does, it was designed from the very start to allow you to assemble different components, particularly Lambda functions, into a serverless workflow in just minutes without writing code. You're really orchestrating a whole lot of serverless components into a workflow that operate reliably, takes care of the staging the error handling, the retry logic, et cetera. And it was initially very much focused on those longer running workloads, things like machine learning, training, report generation, IT automation, order processing, even things that would reach out into the physical world as well. The Express Workflows are really focused on supporting those high event rates, things that are greater than 100,000 per second. Now this is priced at a very cost-effective level. It's $1 per million requests, and this is gonna be hard, oh. Four, five, six dollars per gigabyte second. So, not a lot is <laughs> the short answer. Uh, you can get up and running today. It is GA in Ohio, North Virginia, Oregon, North California, Canada, Stockholm, Paris, Island, Frankfurt, London, Mumbai, Tokyo, Hong Kong, Seoul, Singapore, Beijing, Hong Kong, Ningcha and Sydney, and also Sao Paulo and Bahrain. Let's talk storage. Of course, we had the Adiba Storage Day. Last week, and there were a huge number of updates, but another one has crept in that is very, very useful, and this is something called EBS Direct APIs. Now, this API provides direct read access to EBS snapshot data and is specifically designed to help backup providers achieve faster backups of EBS volumes at lower costs. So backup providers can now easily track incremental changes on EBS volumes via the EBS snapshots, and you can reduce backup times by up to 70%. It also lets you create a far more granular RPO, recovery point objective, at far lower costs. This feature is now available through APIs in the CLI and the SDKs, currently in Virginia, Oregon, Ireland, Frankfurt, Singapore, and Tokyo, with more to come. Another data and database related update is the Amazon RDS proxy, which is available in preview. Many of you will have deployed database proxies to help reduce the overhead of establishing connections, doing connection pooling, also helping you uh, do more efficient failover in the case of a failover of a database, etc. It is now available in preview and what it provides is the ability to sit between your application and the database to pool and share established database connections. This improves scalability and efficiency, and also we see a reduction in failover times for RDS and Aurora Multi-AZ databases by up to 66%. The other nice thing is the database credentials and access can be managed through AWS Secrets Manager and IAM, so you don't even have to have any database credentials in the code. It's available in preview for RDS MySQL and Aurora MySQL in North Virginia, Ohio, Oregon, Ireland, Tokyo, and support for RDS PostgreSQL SQL and Aurora Postgres SQL is coming very soon. If you work heavily in the data warehousing space, you'll know that there are many challenges in data warehousing, and the uh, Redshift team released a whole bunch of updates, and I forgot to mention one that I think is quite useful for those of you who are really on the cutting edge. So first, let's think about the problem statement. If we think about progress in terms of performance from 2012 to today, there's been a 12 times improvement in storage throughput, but only a two times improvement in CPU and DRAM throughput. So this means we're running into a bottleneck that we don't want to keep running into. So to help customers solve for this, we're announcing the Advanced Query Accelerator, or Aqua, for Amazon Redshift. And this is available for preview. And this is a distributed and hardware accelerator cache that enables Redshift to run up to 10 times faster than any other cloud data warehouse. And the good news is, is that you do not have to make any changes. It is 100% compatible with your current version of Redshift. Now this includes a whole raft of uh, technological improvements. What it does is basically helps accelerate the Redshift queries by running data intensive tasks, such as filtering and aggregation closer to the storage layer. So it's avoiding the network bandwidth limitations and not moving data where it doesn't have to. It's powered by AWS design processes. These include the AWS Nitro chips that we've spoken about to speed up data encryption and compression. It has custom analytics processes implemented in FPGAs so we can accelerate filtering and aggregation. It's also a very parallel and scale out architecture as well. So this is offering you a whole bunch of new capabilities that should make your queries run even faster. Now link in the show notes, you can sign up for the preview. It also has some good architecture diagrams to take you through what it's doing there. But as I mentioned, it is 100% compatible with your existing Redshift cluster. So you don't have to do anything uh, once you want to shift across to that. And once you get onto the preview, you get to test up and see what sort of speed benefits you can get. A few extra machine learning updates. There is now Amazon Recognition custom labels and this is a very cool feature because I know a lot of customers have wanted this for a while. So obviously uh, Amazon Recognition had a pre-built set of things it could recognize, but customers would often say, hey, for, but for my specific use case, you know, I need to, to discover machine parts or boats or some product type or something that's very relevant to my particular use case. Could I just get it to recognize those as well? We now have the ability to do custom labels. And what this means is you can provide as few as 10 images And recognition will automatically build the machine learning model. You don't have to have any machine learning experience. It's all done through the console and it will learn and be able to detect those images. Now, if you've ever done image detection models before, you know, it's a lot of work. And so you can uh, hopefully speed up your experience in your particular domain. Now, of course, the quality of your model will always improve by having more sample data, but you can actually start with a reasonably small set of sampled images and still get good outcomes. You don't need any ML experience. A few lines of code, you can access the easy-to-use managed API to process tens of thousands of images that are stored in S3 in an hour, or you can just do it through the console as well. This will be generally available, and you can click on the link in the show notes to get notified as soon as it becomes available to you. Another machine learning update related to Amazon SageMaker is the availability of the DeepGraph library. This is an open source library built for easy implementation of graph neural networks. So Deep Learning has been become a really popular domain because it helps you extract elaborate patterns from complex data. So things like freeform text, images or videos. But a lot of data sets are more relationally based from a graph perspective. So things like social networks where you connect people or recommender systems or chemical analysis or cybersecurity, etc. And these can be very hard to manage. So. We've uh, actually introduced the deep graph library or DGL as a Python open source library that integrates into SageMaker. And this allows you to use what are called graph neural networks effectively as part of your, I guess, toolbox of different SageMaker and deep learning capabilities. Now, I know a lot of the updates I speak about in the world of machine learning relate to Python libraries. Well, we also have the deep Java library is now available. This is an open source library that lets you develop, train and run deep learning models in. Java using a high-level API that then runs on MXNet. Now you know that MXNets used very widely within Amazon and is a great open source project that we contribute a lot to. You can now use your fine-tuned Java skills to access that capability and build applications very, very effectively to take advantage of all the machine learning goodness and combine it with your Java goodness. And finally, an update for Amazon Chime, which is a tool I use every day. So Amazon Chime is a business productivity tool that allows you to do uh, conference calling, allows you to do shared video, allows you to do screen sharing, co-meetings, there's calling capabilities, messaging, it's a bunch of stuff that we use each and every day in, in the business world. And now it has announced a global expansion by extending hosting of online meetings to 14 AWS regions. So customers can choose which AWS region can host their meetings and then Amazon Chime selects the region for each meeting to optimize the experience of the meeting participants. Now this is obviously important because you're moving audio and video around and as the distance increases, the likelihood of network impairments and quality problems and mouth to ear latency problems start to emerge. So what we have done in this case is really reduce that by putting the meeting hosting closer to the people in the meeting. So let me give you some examples of how this is done. And really the factors are determined on how the meeting is initiated, if it's a one-on-one call, a chat to meeting, a scheduled meeting, an instant meeting, where each participant's nearest AWS region is, and also telemetry we pull off the AWS network. So a great example is uh, you know two users with the same closest meeting region. So if user number one is in Perth WA in Australia, their closest meeting region is Sydney and user number two is in Melbourne, like me. My closest meeting region is Sydney, so that's where it will be hosted. Then there are neighbouring regions. So if one user is in Dublin, Ireland, their closest region is Ireland. Another one is in London, so their closest region is London. They're next to each other, so it'll be held either in Ireland or London based upon network telemetry et cetera, et cetera. Lots of good examples about this. Doesn't affect the pricing. Doesn't affect anything. It's set by the administrator. You just get the benefit of it. So a quick update show today, lots more updates for you tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening to the series. We do appreciate your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com is the place to do it. And until next time, keep on building.